this pulpit and I want you to feel your liberty to do whatever the Lord would want you to do if you want to preach to us or if you just want to gather us around your knees so to speak and talk to us as a father it would be okay tonight I feel the Lord in this place amen I said I feel the Lord in this place I believe we stand on holy ground right now. Let's lift our hands. Let's stand to our feet as we do that. And let's give honor to the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you tonight. We bless you, Lord. We magnify your name, oh God. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Praise God. Praise God. You cannot sing like Sister Shu makes scenes without having been through many things. And uh, you cannot preach like Brother Shoemaker has preached and not have experienced a lot of ups and downs. And I value his time with us tonight. Brother Shoemaker, come. Take your liberty in the Lord. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Hughes. God bless you. Thank you for honoring us with an invitation to join with you for a weekend here in Webster, NASA land. I'll fly away, old glory. Someday, someday. You may be seated. Thank you for all of your kindnesses. I would like to thank Brother and Sister Hughes, for just treating us royally and uh, for the opportunity to meet some of you folks, renew acquaintance with some others, and uh, just enjoy a time in the spirit. Tonight has been a great, great time, great time of worship and praise, and my heart has been touched already. I I pray that I could be a blessing to you. I sure don't want to hurt you, so I'll try to be careful. But uh, I'm excited about the kingdom of God. I talked today about the uh, glorious gospel. And the thing that is exciting to me about it is the fact that it worked 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, not only did 120 faithful disciples find out that the Spirit of God was real and that God would minister to them in a special way, but then when it was all said and done, 3,000 more were added to them that day. You can't read the Gospels without... uh, seeing the hand of God in the lives of men and seeing what God would do. And we, uh, we look at God's working. There was one place in the book of Matthew where I believe it's uh, chapter 9 where Jesus had performed a miracle and the multitudes gathered. And as, as they gathered in, because they had heard of the miracle. The Bible puts it like this, that Jesus healed every sickness 
and every disease among them. And the, uh, the two words we use kind of synonymously, but they do have uh, different meanings. Uh, we talk about sicknesses and diseases uh, kind of in the same breath and uh, put the same emphasis on it. But one of those words, and I forget which now, but one of those words from the original translation really deals with not just physical illness, but with mental injuries and pains. And the Bible said that Jesus healed every sickness and every disease among them. Now, if you think that uh, there are people that receive poor treatment today, you should have lived in those days when the poor were counted as not worth much more than dogs, and uh, there was no value on human life. The wounding came as a result of many things, uh, abuse of all kinds, an abusive boss, uh, an abusive parent, uh, a perverted mind, you know, just go down the line of the many things that had brought about the wounding of the mind. But the Bible said that Jesus healed every sickness. That means somebody walked up there struggling, and I have dealt with these people in my ministry. I'm sure that, that Brother Hughes has as well, but I've dealt with people and you wonder what in the world has uh, the problem been with these folks and come to find out that they have suffered uh, horrible abuse uh, somewhere in their life. And it really does, it does leave its mark. But God can heal all manner of sickness and disease, and he does. He is the mender of broken hearts. Uh, he can... He can put together broken dreams or even help you reconstruct new dreams. He is able to do all things. And in all of my ministry, I have always marveled at the power of God and the ability of God to so beautifully change a life, to help people get out of pits that no one else could help them get out of, to be released from snares that were so insidious that the more they tried to get out of them, the tighter the snare became until Jesus came along. And when Jesus came along, then he made all of the difference in the world. So I have a great respect for the gospel and what it can do. The power of God is actually beyond our imagination. It really is, folks. God can do exceeding abundantly above everything that we would dare to ask or to think. There is absolutely no limit to the power of Almighty God. And there would not be enough time tonight for all of us to relate to this congregation 
the things that we have seen, that we have heard, and that our parents may have talked about or preachers have talked about, it is just absolutely unbelievable the things that God has done. And I like the fact that the Bible said Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The fledgling church in Corinth must have felt intimidated by the tens of thousands of uh, idol priests and and the uh, temple prostitutes that filled the streets of that city. And they must have wondered at times, what are we doing here trying to start a church in this city that has been so given to idolatry and sensuality and they had idols of all kinds erected all over the city on every street corner about it. There was a temple to one idol or another. I did know some statistics regarding the numbers of, of temple prostitutes and, and uh, idols and so forth. I have forgotten them. I haven't used this for a long time. But this little church in the midst of that ungodly city was pondering probably how they were going to survive, let alone how they were going to build a church in that city. And then God tells them. Most of the time growing up, I heard these scriptures used in relationship to heaven and eternity. But God tells them, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. The old song says, Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. And He can do what no other power can do. Glory to God. I am here tonight to proclaim to you that I have not seen. Bring in the most skilled scientist from NASA tonight. Let him describe or her describe the things that they have viewed in the outer space and things that they understand about the powers of science and let them awe us with all of their knowledge and all of the great things they can talk about. But when they're through, let me talk about Jesus Christ. And I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. Hallelujah. Give him a hand clap of praise tonight. Let him know that you believe that he is absolutely unbelievable as far as man's concerned. Let him know that you believe that he can do all things. 
exceeding abundantly above all that we can dare ask or think. Glory to God. There is no lack of power. There is no lack of ability in God. There is nothing lacking but people that just believe that God's Word means what it said. And so they're going to get with it. They're going to line up with it. They're going to see what God will do. I'm telling you, folks, God has more in store for you than you could imagine. It's time somebody, it's time somebody got up off of the pew and said, God, if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to let you use me. I'm going to let you direct me. My heart's open. My mind's open. (laughs) Glory to God. Why sit we here Till we die. God's got something out there. It may seem that the enemy has locked every door. It may seem that his siege is so complete that there is absolutely no way out. But if you just get up and start moving, Somebody say, I don't know what my talent is, but I'm going to start a prayer life. I'm going to start setting the clock a little early, and I'm going to get up for prayer time, and I'm just going to open my heart to God and say, God, if you're going to use anyone, use me. If you're going to use anyone, use me. Somebody may say, well, how's he going to use you? I don't know. I'm just going to make myself available. If I can't do anything else, I'll just go knock doors. If I can't do anything else, I'll just walk the streets until I find somebody that looks like they don't quite know where they're heading. And I'll stop them and I'll say, do you know where you're going? Do you know about Christ? Simple testimony. Do something. You know, it's time that you that you'd believe God. You may not believe in yourself. You may not have much confidence in your abilities. Well, join the club. I'll guarantee you 90 out of every 100 preachers that are called to preach wonder why God called them. Because when they assessed their abilities, they found themselves wanting. I don't know why God called me. I really don't. I I couldn't tell you to this day why he called me. But he did. I felt it so definitely. I had to make myself do things that I didn't want to do. I had to get out of my comfort zone. I, I, had to, I had to open myself up to embarrassment because I was so self-conscious and shy. I couldn't meet strangers. But when I felt the call and I told God, I said, if you really want me, and I had preached some locally, but if you really want me to evangelize, then you'll open a door, just one door. And I was invited to preach a revival. I went there and and I wanted to slip in after everybody was seated and slip up on the platform wherever I was to sit and not have to 
confront anyone, then I realized that if I was going to be an evangelist, if I was going to meet people uh, all over the country, that I was going to have to conquer that spirit. And so I would go to church early. I would make myself walk in. Folks, literally, I had to make myself walk in the church. And I, I would walk down the aisles meeting people. I would say, I'm Jim Shoemake, and stick my hand out. And, of course, most of the time uh, I got a pleasant response from it. But I literally had to make myself get out and meet people. And, you know, after a few weeks of that, I found out I liked it. I looked forward to going to new places, meeting new people. It, it became exciting and fun. I, I guess what I'm saying is that we will never do anything until we get up and get moving and until we try it. The problem is not with God. God has chosen, you know, if God wanted to, He could come down and witness to all of this area Himself. He could take on the form of a man an angel or whatever he wanted to do, and he could witness. But that's not God's plan. He put his gospel in the hands of men. Redemption is for man. And he said, I'm going to put it in the hands of man to proclaim my mighty works. And so God is depending on the church. He's depending on you and on me. And you know, but God, what if I, what if I fail? That isn't the issue, because if we will walk with God, we'll never fail. If we'll walk with God, if we'll just let God take over this project, whatever we feel to do, we, you know, you may not see the end of it as being a booming success, but nonetheless, it will not be a failure, I promise you. If you walk with God, if you let God direct your steps, it will not be a failure. God will walk with you. God will go with you. God will use you if you'll allow Him to. Because you see, the result is not based on my ability or my power. The results are based upon God's ability and God's power. I received a letter, oh, it's probably been a couple of years ago now. I didn't recognize the name on the envelope, but because it had been addressed to me personally, I opened it up, and when I began to read, the letter started something like this. Dear Brother Shoemake said, You may not remember me, but... And he named a date that he had been to our church. That was a good many years ago. He said, you may remember I came with a young lady that had just become a member of your church a few months or a couple of years prior to my visit. said, Kathy was my best friend. We were not boyfriend and girlfriends. We grew up together and we were just best friends said, I have been an atheist, or had been an atheist, all of my life. And I was in the Navy, 
and I had a furlough, I decided to come to San Jose to see Kathy. And when I saw her, she said, you've got to go to church with me. To please her, I said, I'll go. I went filled with skepticism because I was an atheist. I did not believe there was a God, had never believed in God. And said, I sat there in the service and at times I looked around and I saw things happen that I didn't understand and some of the things seemed maybe amusing to me. said, I can't tell you what happened. But said, when you made the altar call, said, I began to feel something pulling at my heart and said, I decided to give it a try. Said that night, God proved to me that he was real. And he said, and you know, I was filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. Said when I got out of the Navy, I went back to to upstate New York where I was from and said I found a church there. He said, Brother Shoemaker, I just felt like I needed to write you a letter and tell you that the thing that I found those years ago, it's probably 25 years ago, longer. He said, I just wanted to tell you that what I found at your church that night is still working in my life today. He said, I'm still serving God. So you see, it didn't take an eloquent discussion on my part to convince him there was a God. All it took was the power of God to be released in that service. That's why it's so important when we come to the house of God that we open our hearts in praise, that we worship Him not insincerely, but from the depths of our heart, that the praises flow as we mean them from the depths of our heart. I love you, God. I bless your name. I praise your name. Because as we praise Him, we release in the building the power of God, the anointing of God's Spirit, and God can do all things. Glory to God. There is no limit, no limit to what God can do. We had a man attending our church. He and his wife had moved to California from Illinois, I believe, and they uh, I noticed him the first time or two they came to church. They sat towards the back, maybe the next to the last row and in the center section. And then I had opportunity to get acquainted with them and found out that the wife had been raised in church, was well acquainted with Pentecost. I couldn't to this day tell you how they hooked up, but she met him, they got married, and they moved to California. And then I found out that he was a very highly educated man. He had a doctorate in, uh, I think it would be electrical engineering, and uh, he had a great job. He was a very nice man, 
I think you could probably call him a gentleman, but he, uh, he let me know right away that he was an atheist and uh, really didn't believe in God. But he came. They rarely missed a service, always sitting in the same area, the same section. And she would at times uh, get into the service to some degree, but he just sat there and never showed any sign of, uh, of disgust or never was amused at the service, just acted like a gentleman, sat there, just didn't believe. One Sunday morning we had an evangelist, and uh, the service was dry in my estimation. The evangelist finally made an altar call, and he said, God's going to do some great things today. And I, with my lack of faith, uh, thought, sure, uh, when's he going to start? Uh, we're going to be dismissing here in a little while. Uh, I, I jest because I, I really have learned a long time ago that God doesn't depend on my moods or attitudes. Uh, he does love my worship. But much to my surprise that day, that man got up from where he was sitting and walked out. I thought maybe he was going outside. But when he got to the end of the, the pew, he headed to the front of the church. And he knelt at the platform, would be over to my right. And the evangelist, of course, was making the altar call and giving the directions and so forth. And uh, I, I thought when that man walked to the front, knowing that he was an atheist, I thought, God, uh, why couldn't he have come in some night when we were just really having an outpouring of the Spirit? Why, you know, why this morning? Because this man's a skeptic. You know, he's always made the arguments against the existence of God. And here he comes down, and everything's kind of quiet. But it seemed the evangelist had a whole lot of faith. And and uh, so he got us praying, and and so I... I walked over uh, close to where this man was praying and started praying for him. We'd been praying in the altar for a little while. And, and then all of a sudden, that man threw his hands in the air, just almost violently threw them in the air and began to shake violently. And when I say shake, it was uncontrollably. That man began to shake so violently that he actually threw his wristwatch off. And he just was there like that for a good while. And uh, I was standing there in absolute amazement, Brother Hughes. I, I just observed that, and I, I thought, what in the world is going on? What's happening with this man? And this went on for a good while, and then finally he kind of calmed down and put his hands down and opened his eyes. And I was standing almost over him by this time. And when he opened his eyes, they were as big as the proverbial saucers. I mean, his eyes were wide open. 
And first thing out of his mouth, he looked up at me and said, Pastor, he really is real, isn't he? You know, God is real. There is no limit to what God would do. We, we just need to believe God. We need to believe Him by saying that, God, I'm going to do my part. I may not know what it is when I make that declaration, but I'm going to do my part because I want to see God do everything that He wants to do in this church. Glory to God. I said everything that He wants to do in this church. Every church needs people who have confidence in God, who are committed to the kingdom of God. Forgive me if I, if I seem to overemphasize a point here, but I believe this. The longer I live, the more I believe this, that if everyone in the church would do what God wanted them to do, if everyone in this church, we won't make it generic, We'll pull it down to this church. Brother Hughes is like all pastors. He doesn't like the, the summer slump. None of us do as pastors. We have, a, we have a strange affliction. We want everybody that's supposed to be a part of the church to be there every night so that we can count their heads so that we can look at them and say, thank God for saving them, 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 and them. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. That's kind of the way a pastor is. We want to see everybody there all the time. Brother Hughes, it doesn't take any more than what's here right now to bring about a revival that will shake this community. Come on, folks. Give yourself a hand. Give God a hand. It, it doesn't take any more than what's here right now to see God move in a miraculous way. You could be the talk of the town within a matter of weeks if you just open your heart and let God work through you. You can do it. I think of the uh, scripture that talked about Gideon and his army. You know the story. I won't bore you with details. But when God told Gideon he wanted him to go fight their enemy, Gideon felt uh, insufficient, finally was convinced that it was God calling him and sent out word, we need soldiers. And they gathered other thousands. God looked at them, even though at that point they were still outnumbered by their enemy, maybe three to one or so. And God looked at him and said, Gideon, there's too many men here. And so they pared the number down. And, and then Gideon lined them up, and God looked at him and said, Gideon, you still have too many men. And uh, the, final, the final snapshot of it was that Gideon was standing with 300 men.
that's what God said your army consists of 300 men. And uh, somebody could quickly say, what, what can we do against tens of thousands of the enemy? And uh, God gave them instructions. You're not taking weapons into the battle with you. Just going to take a, a lantern or a light and a pitcher to cover it. And you're going to take a horn. And, and then the strategy of battle is we're going to divide you into three groups of 100 each, and you're going to stand around the enemy's camp. And when uh, the signal's given, you're going to break that pitcher, let the light shine. You're going to put that horn to your lips, and you're going to blow. And that's the battle strategy. And it worked. And the enemy destroyed itself, God working with them. But the point of this whole thing is that when it was all said and done, the Bible paid this tribute to Gideon's army by saying that every man stood in his place. No one, no one got upset because they weren't put in charge of the army. Nobody said, well, there's not enough of us. I'm going to go home. Nobody said, we need more than what we have. Nobody said, because we don't have any weapons, just these foolish instruments, I'm not going to stay here and broke ranks and left because he was unhappy with God's plan. The Bible said that every man stood in his place. I wonder what would happen tonight if every one of us would decide, Brother Hughes, I'm going to stand in my place I'm going to do what God wants me to do to see this church reach the place that you wanted to reach. If every person would stand in their place, not distracted by the issues of life, how many good intentions were destroyed by life's distractions. And they come in all forms. They come in every way that you could imagine. I read, oh, it's been several years ago now. There was a couple, I want to say there were two couples involved, but it's been a long time since I've read the article. I know that there was one couple, man and wife, that were riding their bicycles on one of the back roads in the area where we live. And they, they were riding on the side of the road, and, uh, of course, they are legal there on any of the highways with the exception of the freeways. And uh, they were riding, and... There was a young lady approaching them in an automobile, and she decided that she had to hear a certain song, and so she leaned over and began to dig through her CDs to find the right song to play at that time. And while she was distracted and looking for the CD, she plowed into those bicyclists driving probably 50, 60 miles an hour. And, of course, you know the story. It, uh, it killed them. 
And uh, when it came out, she wasn't drunk. She wasn't on drugs. She was just distracted. She had allowed something that she wanted more than she needed to pay attention to her driving and the highway. And as a result of the distraction, she destroyed at least one couple, and I really think there may have been four of them involved in that. And uh, naturally, when it was all said and done, she was brokenhearted. You know, the kingdom of God has been hurt, hindered, held back by the distractions of life. We get so distracted by issues, they can either be internal things that we want, and because we want it, it takes a lot of energy and time. We don't have time enough to get involved in ministry, and so we allow the distraction to neutralize us. And when all along, the Bible said, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Some of you don't know what you could do in the kingdom of God, because, not, not necessarily because you're unconcerned, but because you have just never felt like you could give yourself to it, that you had anything to offer. There are others who have been involved, but then they become distracted by the issues of life. And as a result, they put themselves out of sync with what God's doing, and they can never, never fulfill what God desires them to fulfill in His kingdom. If you'll give me just a, a little bit of patience here, I want to tell you uh, a story that it has great significance. I hope that you can just pick it up as I as I relate this story to you. Uh, it involves, in the beginning, my grandparents. My grandmother and grandfather, C.P. Kilgore, L.L. Kilgore, uh, were living near Hot Springs, Arkansas. My grandfather was uh, Mormon at that time. His family was and still are involved in the Mormon faith. My grandmother, I guess my mom tells a little about it in her book. I wrote, read it several years ago, but I forgot that part. Uh, my, my mom tells a little bit about the way my grandmother and grandfather met. But uh, they, they met. My, this becomes very significant to me because it becomes a very vital point of this story in just a few minutes. My grandmother was raised in poverty. She was raised by a widowed mother who did everything she could to put food on the table for her little girls and to take care of them as they grew up. When she met and married my grandfather, he offered to her the security that she had never had in life. He had a good job. He was a heavy equipment operator. He operated the big steam cranes, and he worked for the railroad company. And uh, my grandmother had heard about a revival 
in a neighboring town, a tent meeting. And she went. God touched her heart. She came home that night, and she talked to my granddad, and she said, I want you to go to church with me uh, tomorrow night. So when he got in from work, she had everything ready for him, and they walked the uh, distance to the neighboring town to that Pentecostal revival meeting. God got a hold of both of their hearts that night, and God changed them. Within a short time, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and then a little while later received a revelation on Jesus' name, baptism. After they had been <clears throat> serving God for a while, they felt a call to ministry. And in those days, they didn't have nice churches like this to support an evangelist. They just had to go out into a city that they felt God led them to, and they'd pitch a tent or erect a brush arbor or rent a schoolroom, and they would start having services. God blessed my grandparents with great revivals. They would go into these cities without the support of a church body, and before it was over, maybe baptize 100, 150 people in Jesus' name. They didn't have the benefit of musical instruments with the exception of maybe a couple of acoustic instruments. And uh, they, they had none of the modern conveniences that we have now, but God blessed them. But before they started into the evangelistic field, and this has really impacted my heart, my grandmother had to make a conscious decision. She had gone from poverty to security, and now she makes a conscious decision to go back to poverty in order to preach the gospel. And they did. They lived in poverty. They lived in old chicken coops that she would sweep out, wash down, and sweep the dirt floors and maybe paste up newspapers or what paper they could find just to keep the wind from coming through the cracks and the boards and the walls. She cooked for her family over an open fire out front time and again. They really did go back to poverty for the gospel's sake. But this glorious gospel so impacted their lives that they said it's worth it to do what God wants us to do. They died. God took care of them. They never went hungry, but they never had anything. When my grandmother died, she was living in a little travel trailer about 28 foot long. All of the clothes that she had fit easily into the small little closet of that travel trailer. Most of her dresses were almost threadbare, had been washed so many times. They didn't leave the family a great inheritance. My inheritance from my grandmother, from a physical point of view, was a stainless steel pot and cover that I cherish. I love as though it were very valuable because it was hers. I didn't expect anything. What I did get from her just a few days before she died, I knelt by her bed and I said, Grandmother, I want you to pray for me. She laid her hands on me and prayed for me. I've been prayed for many times, but never like that prayer. And she got to the heart of the matter real quick, and you could tell that she understood what the important issues of life were. 
And that's the way she died. She never did have real financial material security. And yet it's estimated that my grandfather baptized some 10,000 people in his ministry and started 18 churches. Nearly everywhere I go, I meet people. Now I'm meeting the grandchildren of folks that were baptized by my grandparents. A few weeks ago, we preached in Denison for Brother David Gilbert. And while we were there visiting with them, I found out I knew both of their parents and was uh, very, uh, very much, I had very great respect for both families. But I found out that both uh, his parents and her parents had prayed through under my grandfather's ministry, and he baptized them. But everywhere I go about it, I run into people that prayed through under my granddad's ministry. And as they started preaching, he was holding a revival in a little community in Oklahoma. And this time, there was a little church building, a little wooden building that he was preaching in. And one night, the town drunk and his best friend walked into that building and sat down on the very back row and sat there while my grandfather preached. When he made the altar call, the drunk who had tried to reform himself again and again had never been successful. He was only 22, 21, 22 years old at that time. He'd been an alcoholic from his mid-teens, and uh, he was known for fighting, brawling, and drunkenness. Been in and out of jail all over the country, and the whole town knew him and knew what he was. But that uh, night, as he heard that message, he looked at his best buddy, and he said, Red, I'm going to give this a try. And he walked to the altar, and he began to repent. He told me later, told me later in life, that that night he left a pool of tears on that altar bench as he repented of his sins, apologized to God for his lifestyle. He said, he said, I appreciate the Holy Ghost. I knew I needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. He said, there was not a night or a day in my life that I will ever remember like that night I walked down and left my sins, my burdens, my guilt on the altar. God changed his life. He walked in an alcoholic. He walked out free from alcoholism. And he became quite a testimony in the little community. And, and in time felt a call to preach. And he started preaching. And then I was born into the home. And, and in time, God called me to ministry. My dad had a successful ministry. God blessed him. He was a very unique man. He went to San Jose and started a church, and I wish I could tell you a lot of the things about that. It is very interesting, at least in my opinion. But he started the church in San Jose, and, and in time, uh, I was asked to come there when 
it was their retirement time. Bobby and I became pastors in San Jose because my grandmother and grandfather, Kilgore, had given their hearts to God. And in the revival they preached, my dad prayed through. He married my mom, the preacher's daughter. I was born into the family and then called to preach. And Bobby and I wound up pastors in San Jose. God gave us a great revival. During that revival, one uh, day a group of our young people were out passing out handbills, flyers. We were doing a special drama hoping to attract uh, young people. And uh, they were in East San Jose, and at times that area can get a little bit rough, and all of the, <clears throat> the low riders cruise the streets, and that was the area they went to to pass out their flyers. And uh, a low rider pulled up to the signal light and stopped and sitting there bouncing, and one of the young people ran out with a flyer in their hand and just thrust it through the open window. And uh, it was a young gangbanger sitting in the back seat already high on drugs. And when that flyer hit his hands, he looked at it, and he said he began to tremble because when he looked at it, you see, his sister had prayed through a few months before that in that church, and she had been after him to go to church with her. He could hear her in her room daily praying and calling his name, God save my brother before he destroys his life. And because of that handbill, Abram, 15-year-old gangbanger, drug addict, showed up that weekend at church and God got a hold of his heart and he gave his heart to God. And uh, because he gave his heart to God in time, God called him to preach. And there are a lot of things that could be said about what's happening between here, but God called him to preach. He came to me and said, Brother Shoemaker, I feel like I need to go to Redwood City and start a church. And we prayed about it. He went didn't have any people there. And so he just started beating the streets trying to find somebody that would be interested in the gospel. He came across two hip-hop artists, had tattoos all over their bodies and body piercings and standing on a street corner with their skateboards beside them. And, and they were a mess. They were already into drugs and their lives were messed up. And what uh, is really interesting about this is that about a few weeks before he met these two young men, one of them's mother, who is Jewish, had been to Israel and she was at Jerusalem and had wandered down by the Wailing Wall. She didn't know what it meant. She knew nothing about it. She was a new ager and didn't have time really for God. And she saw those people, and I'm describing it the way it was told me. I've never been there, so I can't describe it firsthand. But they said the people were walking down with pieces of paper, and they were pushing them between the rocks or the stones that made up the wailing wall. And this lady standing there watching them, not knowing what was happening, she looked at somebody standing beside her and said, what are these folks doing? She said, they're writing out requests and they're taking them down and putting them there for God to see. 
and hear. And she stood there for a moment and reached into her purse and pulled out a piece of paper and began to write on it. And it went something like this. Oh, God, if there is a God, if you're really real, I have a son in the Bay Area in California that's destroying his life. Said, God, I don't know that he'll survive very long if you can't do something for him. Would you please do something for my son? She broke protocol. She walked down on the men's side, and she pushed that paper in between those rocks. Just a short while later, Brother Abram Reyes was on the street, and he came up to Ari Prado and his friend and began to talk to them. The long and the short of it was that he taught them a Bible study. And they both repented of their sins, were baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the Holy Ghost. In time, Ari became a preacher. I, I love his preaching. He's become one of my favorite preachers. He's a very intelligent young man and very sincere, and God really uses him. Several months ago, maybe a year or two, he was preaching for us in San Jose. I want you to listen to this, folks. This means something. This is not just a story. You fit in this. I don't know where you fit, but God knows, and maybe you do. You fit in this story somewhere. Brother Ari Prado, introducing his message that night, introduced it in a rather strange way. He said, because in the 1920s, a couple by the name of Kilgore said he was a Mormon. They went to a Pentecostal church. God got a hold of their hearts, and they were baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and they felt a call to preach, and they left everything behind because the gospel was more important to them than anything in life and said because they gave themselves to ministry said they were preaching in a little town in Oklahoma and said the town drunk came one night and God got a hold of his heart delivered him and in time he felt a call to preach and said in time, he felt that he needed to start a church in San Jose, California, and he did. And because they served God and raised their children in church, their son, Brother Jimmy Shoemake, felt a call to preach. And in time, he became pastor of the church here. And because he got people involved in outreach, one day they were on the east side and they handed a flyer to a young gangbanger by the name of Abram Reyes and said it got him, God got a hold of his heart. He prayed through the time he felt a call to preach and said he felt to start a church in Redwood City. And he said he was working the streets and met a couple of guys and said I was one of them. And he turned and looked at me and he said, Brother Shoemaker, 
because brother and sister Kilgore committed themselves to God in Arkansas all those years ago. I stand here tonight in your pulpit. You understand where I'm going, folks? Every one of us have a place in God. If we fail, I wonder who is not going to find God. If we do our part, I wonder who is going to find God. Are there other F.B. Shoemakes? Are there other Abram Reyes's? Are there other Ari Prados? Who knows who's out there? If we'll just do our part, I don't want to break the chain. I don't want to break the chain. I don't want to let God down. I believe God has His hand on you. I believe that God wants to use you. I wonder how many of you could raise a hand and say, I really would like for God to use me to direct my steps. I want to be led to the Spirit of God to do something special for the kingdom of God. Why don't you raise your hand and raise the other one to join with it right now. Why don't you open your heart to the Holy Ghost and let God minister to you right now. God, I pray that you would speak to these folks, that you would minister to their hearts now. I pray, God, that you would overshadow them by your Spirit and that the Holy Ghost could direct them into effective ministry.